0: All right. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have my friend, Becky Gardner, with a life of your own. Am I saying that right? A life of, a life of my own. My own. I always do that, a life of your own, because I want my children so badly to have a life of their own that in my mind, that's what I, I say, but it's a life of my own. And we'll go ahead and also yes. information so they can find you again. Um, we have podcasts actually several times, numerous times. Now, Yay. on different executive function topics, and today's topic related to executive function is executive function and how, if at all, it's taught in schools and the curriculum that we see being used. And so, Becky and I were talking briefly before we hit the good old record button, <laughs> and like what you were saying, we are living in COVID times. Unfortunately, we yes. are still living in COVID times, and that's why yes. we are we're not seeing each other in person yeah. today. We're actually um, recording uh, virtually from the comfort mm-hmm. of each of our locations. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the things that we're gonna talk about today, Becky, is um, kind of pre-COVID because you were when you were working in the classroom, um, mm-hmm. this is kind of what you were seeing. And so we're gonna talk about um, towards the end kind of post-COVID um, <laughs> trends that we're seeing because we also were talking a little bit about that actually, in fairness, yeah. I was ranting about my COVID <laughs> existence with four kids doing virtual learning and how we were then, you know, just naturally talking about kind of that po- post-COVID executive function piece. And so we'll we'll yeah. talk about that at the end because it's definitely worth um, kind of just touching on for right now. So right. Yeah. with that being said, let's start with what's What's going on in the schools? And um, so, in the past podcasts, if you haven't caught them, I would highly recommend listening to them. Um, We talk about the twelve areas of executive function um, and what they are. And so, really, I'm—I have said throughout those podcasts that I am a firm believer that schools need to be doing a better job um, working with kids to develop better executive functions in those twelve areas. And I guess maybe I should say, not. Work with them, but figuring out what they work, where their strengths are, and then where they yeah. have barriers, so that they can then use their strengths to help fill in the gaps for those barriers, because those barriers can really exactly. limit their success. In yeah. uh, it affects self esteem, it creates anxiety. There are so I mean a lot of kids are then dropping out of school because they don't feel successful, and um, there is just so many things that on happen. and
1: on. Yeah. yeah,
0: we could go on and on and on about that. Yes. So, yeah. So what I wanted to do is have a specific podcast to talk about kind of what does executive function um, coaching, if I hate to say the word coaching, because oh, curriculum, curriculum look mm-hmm. like currently in schools. And so again, I understand this is kind of a like pre COVID situation when you were working in the classroom and student. Yeah. And so can you kind of talk about what that looks like and and some of the challenges that you see with how it's currently being presented in a classroom setting?
1: Yeah. So this is such a huge topic Um, to wrap my brain around it. I really had to break it down because. Of the 12 executive functioning skills, there's so much overlap and it's involved. They are involved in everything that goes on in the classroom as kids are younger and as students. And then, of course, as adults, it continues. But we're talking about in the schools. Um, So in order to kind of wrangle that whole thing in my mind to be able to talk about it with some sort of. Um, structure and a way that could be followed. What I ended up doing was taking all twelve executive functioning skills and um, breaking them out. And I thought maybe we could go through them um, one by one. Just I
0: love that. Okay, great, great. You know, one of my superpowers is organization. In my mind that feels very organized. So, thank yes, you for suggesting that. It
1: does feel very organized. And I couldn't begin to wrap my brain around it unless I broke it all down. So that will this time. Uh, so I think, um, you know, if I were going to make like an overall statement for executive functioning in schools, I think probably the most helpful thing that could be done is to make this learning really much more overt um, and intentional. Um, To use the language of executive functioning and explain starting very young in simple terms, you know, what that means and what your amazing brain is doing and uh, what you're really good at. And um, like exactly like you're saying, how you can use these, you know, as they're younger, the superpowers that you already have to help you with areas that are hard and I think just starting there and um, making students aware of this whole piece because it it affects everything. And if they understand why they're not turning things in, even though they really, really wanted to, or why they didn't start whatever it is, even though they meant to, then they're going to have, um, they're not going to feel so horrible about themselves because from there, where they're sitting, everyone else in the entire school is able to do the thing except for them, which isn't true. But that's what they see, and then they um, obviously it's going to affect self esteem, and that's going to becomes a vicious cycle, and they feel that they can't do things, and then they, they it's becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy they're focused on the negative um so really i think to kind of break the cycle and and start on a much more positive um productive um cycle with the whole thing would be to incorporate the executive functioning language improve awareness um help students like you say figure out their strengths um and that that would begin a whole different discussion in the classroom I think and with parents and you know students and everyone so I completely
0: agree because I have to be honest with you right now in post-COVID times I am much more tuned into my children's assignments that have been assigned and when they're due and then when they miss it it turns red Right. And so it's a very obvious thing because yeah. it's from black to red. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> interesting because before I would be like, you didn't turn in an assignment. And, you know, instead now it's kind of like, oh, trying to find some positive language to say, you know, like, what do you think went wrong? And so that you couldn't turn in that assignment. Because that's the other thing, too. Since they're working yeah. from home, I can see that they've been working on things. Yes. Um, and so then it's kind of like, why do you think that you just didn't take those final steps to just get it done and turned in? And so, I, I think you're right. It's like having those pot, like a, a, a late assignment or a not turned in assignment can be uh-huh. really an opportunity to have a conversation about what do you think went wrong here? Yeah. Whereas, but you have to have the language and that overt discussion about what it is. And I think if teachers had that too, starting young, right. It becomes a, a tool to help them work on it as opposed to, 10 students, because I heard that this morning, because, you know, oh. a- 10 students haven't turned in the blah, 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 and I'm just kind ca- and Caleb's like, oh my gosh, I haven't turned this in. It's like, you're not That's one right. of the 10 students, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, and he- triggered
1: anxiety and the whole thing, and then you can't think straight, and then, yeah, yeah the whole, yeah. Ah.
0: But you're right. It's a different, it's just a different tone to like, okay, so let's talk about what do you think went wrong so that you couldn't get that done or you didn't want to get it done versus that 10 students have not turned in this assignment. If I don't get it by Friday, you get a zero. Okay. That right. made me have anxiety. And sure. I even in that class, I just happened to be walking by and listening in that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brings back school memories. Ah! <laughs> triggers,
0: triggers. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. Um.
1: But, you know, and the one thing when I was in the classrooms most recently, and that was not this last school year when class was in session, but the year before, um, one really positive thing that I will call out and was really impressed with at the school district that I was in is that starting literally in kindergarten, they had um, growth mindset. They were talking about growth mindset. And um, I don't think I walked into one elementary school classroom that didn't have a bulletin board somewhere in the room on growth mindset and what fixed mindset was and growth mindset and the difference. And um, and for listeners, if they're not familiar with it. It uh, growth mindset thinks about or considers the way that students think about learning. And if they have a fixed mindset, they believe that they were wired that way. There's not really much they can do about um, their learning. So they're not a math person, for example. They'll never be good at math. Um, That's a fixed mindset and a growth mindset is. Well, I've had a hard time with math in the past, um, but I, it's it's a challenge that I can overcome and um, I just haven't learned it yet. And so that's a growth mindset. And so fixed mindsets, these problems, growth mindset sees challenges and opportunities. And so there was a curriculum in that school district, starting in kindergarten, where they would talk about that intentionally, overtly, and um, talk about how much more ability they have to take in information when they have a growth mindset and to not see a failure as something horrible if they have a growth mindset. It means they just hadn't learned it yet. Um, and so that was a really positive example of the kind of thing that I think would be really effective in the classroom with executive functioning. So maybe you're not gonna teach kindergartners all 12 and what they mean, of course, but you're gonna talk about how your brain does amazing things and you could um start with your ability to get something done and give an example and and um just start very basic and how you have the ability to do these things and maybe even apply growth mindset to executive functioning. I mean, I I don't, I don't know. I'm not a curriculum designer, but I, I did see that example and it stuck out in my mind and I think it could be um, useful to use the same sort of thing for executive functioning. Um, And I think growth growth mindset is an important part of executive functioning uh learning really
0: so growth mindset I think that is a really good point because um and I love what you're saying there about it being very overt um I think in Mm -hmm. all of this the key is being very overt and Mm -hmm. um, intentional about how you're presenting
1: it so so what's the next one so actually uh self-restraint going at, uh, starting at the, I don't know if you have the same old cheat sheet that we have used, but I'm just going to go straight down that list. Um, so self-restraint, um, that is the ability to think before you act, make informed decisions, that sort of thing. It is different than emotion control, um, very closely related, but different. Um, and I think what I saw, tended to see in the schools was, um, you know, it gets like <laughs> a new name every year, um, but essentially it's all behavior modification. Um, so when it gets to extremes, um, the BCBAs are sent in, it's the, you know, the positive reinforcement kind of carrot versus the negative reinforcement stick thing Um, and as kids get older the 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 punishments tend to ratchet up Mm -hmm. that's typically what i i would see in the schools of course you know with the young kids there's plenty of encouragement and and positives and um but that that's the typical progression that i saw in the schools Um, I would agree with that because that's
0: kind of what we hear from families and frustrations and concerns, and so I, I would concur with your observation there.
1: Okay. So what could be really effective um, and is effective in some situations that I've seen is to design the environment for neurodiversity, realizing that not everyone has the same executive functioning ability it's some someone one student has self-restraint as a strength one student has a as a barrier um so if you go in knowing that you're you can design the environment for those learning differences and that neurodiversity so let's say that you could make an assignment more multimodal So um, it's the same information. The student can show their knowledge um, in different ways. So if they're um, very if they have a lot of energy um, and they tend to be impulsive, maybe they're the kind of student that's going to do better with uh, doing an oral assignment, recording it, submitting it, um, or maybe they want to act it out. I mean, you know, whatever it is that's their thing, um, they can experience success with their barrier and self-restraint if given an opportunity that matches their their diversity, their learning difference.
0: Oh man, I wish that every school kind of had that concept because there are some better models out there where it's interest-based learning, and it's really—I hate to even say interest-based learning—it's finding ways that they can actually demonstrate their knowledge base. Exactly. It's not, again, interest-based learning. I guess it is kind of interest-based learning. I tell you what—I can get Caleb to give a very elaborate um, presentation on something yeah. that learned. But if I have to have him output that in an essay where it has to be five periods, right. yeah, no, like I literally want to cry just thinking about it. But if I have him put together a PowerPoint with visuals and exactly. he's learned, it's like, oh my gosh, like clearly the kid knows all of this stuff, but it's just the different. And that's
1: demonstrating learning.
0: Exactly. But he's super, he loves PowerPoint and coming up yeah. with graphics and making them kind of like creating these collages of all these different graphics he finds online. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, why are we forcing him to write these like five paragraph essays? When I mean, literally, I don't want to read that either. I would much rather look a PowerPoint with <laughs> all the different graphics because it it really is just mentally way
1: more interesting. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, and it's I understand the complexity of having. 23 or 32 or whatever different kinds of things being turned in. I really do get that. Um, I I would hope that in some future system where we meld all of the things that we've learned from COVID and technology with classroom-based that There may be more opportunities like this, and I do think it would be possible, not easy or quick, but I do think it would be possible to apply the same rubric to these different forms of these different modalities or whatever that are turned in, um, because in the end, they're demonstrating learning, so they need to demonstrate some level of learning and the same rubric the same grading system could be applied no matter how the information was received i i hope so it's it's definitely complex and and making that transition would be extremely difficult but i do think in the end everyone would benefit
0: yeah so i actually think that now is the perfect window to do that because we are already redefining education because of exactly. the education. so if exactly. ever there is a time to actually consider this concept Next, I, I believe, is that time where we're thinking out of the box because we're forced to think out of the box. And so if right. anything else, something positive might come out of this, um, because, oh, yeah. again, you know, we have to engage learning in, all, in whatever fashion we're going to, we can take at this point. And so teachers are having to actually, um, you know, be more versatile and um, accepting of different outputs. And so anyway, so I'm exactly. About
1: that. Right, and, and it's the whole, it's the same thing as remote work, mm-hmm. they, the, the world has changed now. And they, sadly we've had to adapt, you know, trial by fire kind of a thing, but the doors open and it would be a giant missed opportunity to not, yeah, take advantage of this momentum that's starting. I, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Yeah, completely agree. right so that's self-restraint you're right um just being able to give them better options and I I have been preaching for a long time too and so something that you said really resonated is um sorry everyone who's listening you're listening to a podcast of a mom who's trying to podcast at the same time of managing all of all four children's virtual learning meetings that then pop up and and interrupt you five times, 15 times during one podcast. So I do apologize. Um, but something that you resonated and I've preached this before is, is that creating an environment for all neurodiverse for just neurodiversity it doesn't matter where who you are what it's that you can create those environments um, so that self-restraint becomes easier for everyone because it's a more inclusive learning environment so I I couldn't make more um, because that goes a long way to helping those that struggle more with self-restraint being able to stay in control of their emotions exactly
1: exactly yes universal design for learning Yes. UDL. Same, same idea, different, um, different terminology, but yes, exactly. You design the environment so that everyone benefits really.
0: Um, okay. Should we move on to working memory? Yes, please. My area of, uh,
1: my barrier, my personal barrier. Mine too. Yeah. (laughs) But we have very similar profiles, yes. Which is Um, funny because if anybody
0: knows me, that you'll know that working memory is not my forte, which is why I have lots of reminders and strategies that pop up on my computer to help me manage things so I don't forget them because, and I have paper in my hand all the time so I can write things down.
1: Yep, yep, me too. (laughs) Um, So what I typically saw when back in, the The before time, in the olden days, Becky, In the olden, the olden days, days. Yeah. yes. Sure. Um, so for working memory, that is the ability to juggle pieces of information, essentially in short term memory, uh, immediate access so that you can do whatever it is you're trying to do. In everything we do, we have to be thinking about the parts and pieces in order to get it done. That's working memory, the active parts. And uh, in classrooms typically, you know, it always in all of these you'll you'll notice a pattern as we go along when the students are kindergarten, very early elementary level, there's a lot of assistance, support kinds of things that that's just built in because kids don't have executive functioning skills at that age. And so it's all external with their teachers and that's normal and there's lots of support. And then as kids age, their education is developmentally appropriate and those supports are pulled back and they are expected to do more and more independently. That's how education works with working memory Uh, As students get older, there are more, you know, it starts with gentle reminders and then they become more insistent reminders because there's the the I don't know, it feels I think it can feel like students aren't trying. And so it's a try harder kind of a. Expectation thing and it becomes more intense um, eventually can lead to resource room kinds of things where uh, if you're not able to get it done during the amount of class time that you have, then we'll give you extra time. Um, and then as students get older and into high school, um, a lot of times working memory is worked on via accommodations. And so that's that's what I've seen um, in past. And you will hear that kind of sequence repeated many times as we go through this, this list from the support to the reminder to the try harder to the resource room to the um, accommodation.
0: Well, that sounds like my life. It's like you followed me around and you know you my life right now. That is so it's- non-accurate.
1: Very, very common story, I think. And again, um, I think I always go back to the collaborative problem solving piece. Kids do well if they can, period. There's not a student anywhere that wants to do poorly. They're trying. They don't. Kids are not inherently lazy. They want to do well. They want to succeed. They want to please. People, especially when they're young, maybe that gets um, goes by the wayside as they get older and they become more frustrated. But if you keep that mindset of realizing that students do well if they can, period, and if they're not doing well, there's a reason. Something's getting in their way. In this case, it would be an executive functioning barrier of working memory. How can, if something's getting them in their way, how can we help support them? So keeping a strengths focus, I'm sure they obviously they have executive functioning strengths. If we can keep them more in that realm and not insist that they have to remember multiplication tables if they have a barrier in working memory, then why don't we do that? Because it's just gonna eat away at their self-esteem. It's they're just gonna feel um, more and more incapable when, Multiplication tables and calculators can be found anywhere, everywhere on people's phones. I
0: have this conversation with people at least like every other week in terms of Caleb's life, because again, you know, my number one thing, and you know this Becky, because you've you've worked with Caleb, but my number one thing is I want him to have a positive self-esteem because that is something yeah. once your self-esteem starts going in the, in the toilet, it's very yeah. difficult to pull it out. And also all they're looking at is they they're just picking apart themselves as oh, yeah. to really focusing on all of the super things that they do. And so that's my thing is it's like give him a, so, you know, give him a multi- multiplication chart, you know, give him right. a calculator, teach him how to be good at math with a calculator so that he feels good about himself. Why exactly do that? You know, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I understand and from an education perspective cuz cuz I used to get into this discussion in IEP meetings regularly and parents would appreciate it and teachers and administrators really would not i understand that if you know students learn at different rates they develop differently and if there's a window that they can learn it, but it's maybe a little later, then their life may be easier if they can learn it. Okay. I can appreciate that. But on the other hand, there are also students that have forking memory barriers and having them feel like they're beating their head against a brick wall is never going to do them good. And I don't know where that fine line is because students are all different, but I do see both sides of that.
0: I understand that, but I'm looking again, and and we have this conversation because everybody always points these things out to me. Um, but the thing about it is, is above all, I want my child to have a positive self-esteem and feel like yeah. he has the tools to be able to be um, successful. And a calculator is the tool for him to feel like he's yes. successful to be able to do all the same math that everybody else is. And so- right. We'll do right. some of those other things, maybe when he turns 25 and he has this like epiphany moment where it's like, oh, wait, you know, I can actually figure this out on paper. I don't have to have a calculator, whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. I <laughs> do know what you mean. And that's uh, like awesome uh, is so much more important yeah. to me above all, because again, you know, we're women. So I think we're very hypercritical of ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think people generally are, but I, I don't know. I feel like women are just, we are always looking for something to pick apart in our life yeah. like that we're not yeah. good. At. And so I really want to make sure that we are doing everything we can with young people to make sure that we're yeah. them up and just, you know, not, you know, we could
1: simplify some of this stuff for certain learners yes. for certain. Yes. Murders, so. Yes. No, I, I, that's, you sound exactly like me with my pull string in those meetings. I, I totally could not agree with you more. There's, I don't think there's any one single thing more important than a child keeping their curiosity, their joy, their, um, interest, their spark their And that's all self-worth self-esteem based. I, I totally, totally agree with you. So, okay. Should we move on? Yes. Okay. Emotion control. Um, Can I comment real quickly on something?
0: Tyler is totally fine with me sharing this story. So you have worked with Tyler and um, just, you know, helping him to realize where his strengths are and where he has some barriers. And one Uh of the things that came up in his strength (laughs) category when he was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Which was
1: adorable, by the way.
0: (laughs) Adorable because I couldn't, I laughed out loud because I was just supposed to be a silent listener so that I could just understand his strengths and then where his barriers were. But um, I laughed out loud because it was so funny with his reaction was his um, one of his 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 strengths was in self-restraint. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? And she was like, understand. And then you popped in and said, understand, Tyler, this is different than emotional control. And he was like, oh, OK, <laughs> and he was Like, I'm sorry. No, I'm, that's not me. I don't have any self-restraint. you were explaining the difference between self-restraint and emotional control. So that's why I wanted to point this out, because I want to make sure people understand the difference yeah. between the two, because we had a good chuckle about that last week. So they
1: are so closely linked. And in some, you know, we've talked about before, some people um, combine executive function skills different, and they are one and the same. Um, and so that um, misunderstanding is, is real common, but one of the reasons that I like having this 12, that does break those apart. And you can see, you know, imagine I would think if I was Tyler, I would be frustrated and think that I didn't have self-restraint. And it turns out, wow, this whole other area of skill just popped out and he is becoming aware of. And how cool is that? Whereas if they were lumped together, then that would still be a source of frustration. so
0: yes, you're absolutely right. I think it was actually very healthy for him to realize that he actually Good. this is actually one of his strengths and all this time in his mind, he was really like hard on himself because mm-hmm. really what he struggles with is emotional control. like mm-hmm. it's fired up about something he has a hard time reeling it in. so,
1: yeah, yeah, um and emotional control is very much what it sounds. it's um Students with a barrier in emotion control tend to have really big emotions. Um, They feel passionately and strongly about things on the entire spectrum, positive, negative, and everything in between. And those tend to spill out into everything that they do and affect what they do. And so they can be, you know, very interesting and fun and uh, a joy to be around. And they can also um, make life difficult and be difficult to be around. Um, So um, what I saw in the schools previously, um, emotion control is is really a tough one in schools. in kindergarten, you know, it's it's real common and no one really expects kindergartners to have that all reined in. Like I said, they don't have their executive functioning skills uh, in place yet. So that's typical. Um, When students get fourth, fifth, sixth grade and up and um, emotion control barriers are seen, then it takes on a whole different flavor. There are labels that come along. There are specialists that come on board. I've seen it. I've worked in um, the district that I was in called them intervention rooms, but they're specific classrooms for students with behavioral difficulties. And that, just like what you were saying with the uh, negative self-esteem I have not seen any one group of students that has a more negative self-esteem than this group. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really very tragic because it's not, you know, kids do well if they can. And if they could rein it in, they certainly would have a long time ago. And the shaming and and things that occur when, you know, they're trying very hard to have a good day and, Someone ran into them from behind in PE and they lose it. And then they end up going down the whole cascading series of events that can put them in the special little room where they're it just it it can go bad fast. And is it could not from what I've seen that the students that I've worked with, it couldn't be any more frustrating for them. and it
0: seems like from Tyler's perspective, because he has challenges with emotional control, it feels like there's just nothing he can do about it. It's just, this is what he is. And you're absolutely right. It really does negatively impact a person's self-esteem.
1: Terrifically. Yeah. And
0: Tyler too, he's then, um, he falls into the role of, um, you know, I'm just a thug. I'm just a behavior kid. I just get put, sent down to the, in high school they have in school suspension is where they a lot of the kids that have issues with emotional control Mm -hmm. Um, then you have it's a smaller environment and they can help manage their Mm -hmm. behavior better in those Mm -hmm. environments and Mm -hmm. then too is all of these providers in these um in in school suspension are just like oh tyler is such a great kid and it's like you're absolutely right i'm so glad i recognize that but in tyler's mind he's just one of the trouble kids Um, right you know and it's just it's yeah cascading
1: it, it exactly is over and over and they you know students wake up in the morning and they're going to have a good day and then you know the smallest thing can can turn that all around things that can be effective um certainly a trauma-informed approach and that you know we're not always going to know the reasons why you know if it's an executive functioning barrier it's it's not trauma in it's not trauma induced but i think that approach has a lot of merit in that if you need a system to um, work with all kids so that nobody's being discriminated against that is a strengths based culturally sensitive individual student focused approach and I don't see how uh, that could be bad. So I think the more often that students are caught doing something right, and that is pointed out, you know, the, the positives are also stated in front of peers because you know peers are seeing when things go sideways. And so the more often that peer support can be brought in and that the positives are pointed out are going to be helpful. And I think the single most important thing is, you know, I always go back to it, but collaborative problem solving. So you involve the student and you talk to them about, you know, what has worked well in the past you know, you've had a hard time in assemblies in the past. So what would you like to try for the next assembly that's positive and proactive? And how can we help you? And what can we do to support you? And what do you need? And, you know, do you just need a break from assemblies for a while? Do you need a little quieter spot than right next to the speaker? Do you need, you know, I mean, whatever, I don't know, the student is going to have really good insight though, typically as to what they need and throwing these students together in any one location, whether it's in school suspension or a specialized classroom is just going to reinforce that label that they feel.
0: It, you know, I think that to a certain degree, you're right. It reinforces the label that they're putting on themselves. However, here's what I've seen that's happened is, is that, and I know that this is true for other families because um, I've had parents share in other podcast topics, you know, like Tyler actually prefers to be in the in-school suspension room. And you want to know why? Mm.
1: It's because no, yeah, for sure.
0: They use strategies that are collaborative uh-huh. problem solving. They're Good. like, hey, hey. You know, it's quieter in here. Tyler, what's going on? This doesn't sound like you. Um, Okay. So how about, you know, like you decide what assignment you want to start with or where you want to engage this project. And then we'll work from there. So they're using what, But see, again, they're using behavior intervention strategies to help. Tyler feel like he has some choices in control it's less going on and they're talking to him like you know what went wrong like how come you know we this situation happened and so from his perspective he feels a little bit more validated and mm-hmm. that somebody gets kind of that his frustration and they understand that he does have nice. difficulty with emotional regulation so now when that happens in his regular class teachers are like, you know what, I'm not dealing with you, like, get out of here, go down and see your Mr. Assistant Principal. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's not because they just they don't have time for it. And they're not going to deal with behavior. And so that's somebody else's job. And so then, you know, while it kind of reinforces that, that unfortunate cycle for Tyler, it's like, you know, if I could just spend my whole day down in the in this classroom with this particular um, teacher, Mm-hmm. I would be great because again, great. He's using a totally different set of strategies that help yeah. him be successful. That's awesome. Feel like he's empowered, but that's not what you get when you go back to the class. So from his, so that's why part mm-hmm. of him, like I mean he wants to go back to school for the social component, but sure. he actually really likes um, this format because again, you know he listens to the class like I, I'm calling it post COVID. You know it's just a lot different. You know his emotional regulation. He's not triggered by people in the class or frustration things. And so he's able to be more successful. But yeah, he definitely misses his in-school suspension um, administrators because they got him and could help him work through and help him with his emotional regulation. So
1: well, that's fantastic. What a positive strategy they're using. That's that's not. Uh, what I typically hear. So that's fantastic because it usually tends to be more um, punitive. And and it's unfortunate that they call it in school suspension because that's got a negative connotation. And it sounds like a very positive experience and a lot of problem solving and not a lot of um, like standard behavioral, um, you know, behavioral modification type pieces, but it's more problem solving, which is
0: well, and I think, know, think it probably, depends. yes, and it probably varies place to place. Um, and so I think it all depends on, you know, that's why you have these specific classrooms where they're sending these kids. And so again, I'm not saying across the board, all yeah, this yeah. What well, yeah. like, but sure. we're talking about like Lewis and Clark high school. And this is really what they're, what they have been doing with Tyler, which again, you know, for him, from his perspective, it's like, I just rather go down to the, you know, in school suspension classroom, because like, it's just is for that's him, they, they get him. So that's
1: great. Well, and again, if we're talking about universal design for learning, and having multimodal and neurodiverse education, then actually, what would be happening is taking that strategy, that's not only effective for students with difficulties with emotion control, but it is actually effective for all students. And you would take that information to the rest of the teachers in that building or the rest of the district, and you employ those strategies. And then suddenly, behavior isn't different. It's just part of the learning process. And if students were able to be involved and help figure out what works for them then that's beneficial for everyone in in all classes I mean I don't. it sounds like it's wonderful and it's unfortunate that it's not more widespread because
0: I agree yeah
1: then you don't you don't need a, a different place but all teachers are are working in that mode and behavior is just part of learning which it is
0: that is true. Yes. People, but a lot of teachers don't have time for behavior. And so, and it's because they don't- But if it's incorporated, but that's what I'm saying. If it's incorporated
1: in the classroom as part of the process, yep, it, that's it's exactly learning, true. it's not behavior.
0: Yep, totally. But it's like the mind, the old school versus kind of the new frame of mind, the new yep. school.
1: So the yep, yep. so next area is focus. It is. It is. Okay. And so this is um, for my shorthand, for my notes, what I ended up doing was just kind of doing a double asterisk. And this is another one of those ones. It's just like working memory in my mind that the progression goes from exterior and a lot of support in kindergarten work uh, gentle reminders, then try harder Then, um, <clears throat> well, that's not working. Let's give you extra time in the resource room. And when you get older, let's do um, some accommodations to help with your focus. The same sort of tact in, in, from what I've seen. And then different ways to dis- decrease distractions. And those can be you know, pretty mild to, oh, why don't you have a seat up here near me as the teacher? And then, you know, you don't have all this if you're in the back of the room, obviously there's all the distractions in front of you, a little more frequent eye contact with the teacher is going to help people with focus, but it can get pretty extreme to, um, you know, quiet rooms or steady carols. That's like my least favorite thing I've ever seen where a student is like cordoned off from the rest of the class in a steady carol to help with their focus. Um, Again, I keep going back to the same things because I really do think that for executive functioning, what's effective is normalizing the neurodiversity that's that exists within within a classroom. I don't, you know, pretending that it's not there is, not been working for us for a lot of years. So universal design for learning, multimodal learning, focusing on strengths. And I really think that this, uh, the idea of growth mindset can help with focus too, because again, students get in that fixed mindset of, oh, I just can't focus. I'll never focus. It's not me. I I'm all over the place. And they get stuck in that, that fixed mindset thinking. What? I've seen be pretty effective is help students be more resilient and keep looking for ways to problem solve their own focusing if that growth mindset can actually be ingrained. And so what I saw in that beautiful curriculum in that school district is that it's gone over at some point early in the year for a week or two, they have a unit and the bulletin board stays up But it's not really incorporated. It's not really something that they live. And I think that's a missed opportunity because if teachers had the ability to point out, just find one example every single day in the classroom and something that happened and say, oh, there's an example of growth mindset, you know, you thought that, I don't know, whatever it is, it would be really hard to, or you, that Sally couldn't, Was the last time someone was named Sally in a classroom, I don't know why that came up, that they um, were having a hard time with whatever, and look, here's a beautiful job, she did it, um, that, that growth mindset's really working for us, and she kept, looking for ways to do it. And there it is, or, you know, whatever it is, but to live that growth mindset and to live the strengths piece is going to be pretty huge with focus because with different developmental rates, students are going to develop some improved focus over the years. And it's that persistence and that resilience to keep at it. And then, um, eventually I mean we're all going to have days focus is one of my barrier areas there are days that i didn't sleep well i don't know i've got something else on my mind or who knows what and some days are just not as good and that's universal but some days we can rein it in and we can find new methods and we can ask for supports and we can use accommodations and there are things that we can do um, so um I think having that toolbox is really important for students, um, between students and within students, again, because every day is going to be different. So
0: I agree. I feel like that there are things, strategies that we could be helping, like within the school to help kids learn and recognize different, like, you know, I think exactly what you were just saying. Some days, like, and I'm the same way, Some days it's like, man, I was just on fire today. I focused on everything, I got stuff done, um, and it was effortless. And then other days it's kind of like, man, I cannot keep a thought in my head for more than more than ten seconds. But it has taken what forty four years for me to be able to get to the point. And instead of just being, you know, like mad at myself, well, man, you better today. It's more of a, huh, I wonder what the difference today is versus like yesterday when everything was coming together. Um, and so again, just in what you said early on, intentional discussion of like, man, like what do you think was what helped you be able to focus better today? Um, so right. that, that way it's just that growth mindset, completely just growth mindset. Like, what are the things that are consistent today? Or why do you think that today is a harder day than yesterday? All right, we're gonna wrap up part one of executive function, how it can or should be integrated into school. Please tune into part two as we continue with Becky Gardner and jump back in with task initiation and the remaining seven sections of executive function. Thanks for joining us. And this wraps up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.